We're wrapping up the book of Genesis. We're getting real close to it. We're going to look at that in a few moments. But in order to get there, I want to start by looking at a different verse. Um, you know, there's a verse in Scripture, certain verses that kind of pop out of the Scriptures that the kingdom of God, the church, just kind of gloms onto. And it becomes kind of those, the real popular verses. And, you know, so they're ones that people can quote the chapter and verse on. And, and I want to start by talking about one of those today. In the, in the book of Romans, the 8th chapter, the 28th verse, there's a, a verse that people use as a promise. Anybody know what Romans 8:28 is? All things work together for good for those who, are, who love God and are called according to His purposes. And, and we're going to start off thinking about that verse this morning. And I want to start off by asking a question about it. And it's this. Is that verse true? Is it true that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to its, His purposes? You know, well, let's be honest about it for a second. Let's just look honestly. We know as Christians, we don't, have to, we don't have to say something true if it's not. You know, we say yes, we say no. Let's think about it this morning. You know, sometimes it's hard to believe that that verse could be true. And I think it's surely reasonable to question it, especially at a time that we're going through in the world right now where, where it seems like the whole world's in chaos. You know, you can say, where's God in this whole thing? Is it really everything working together for good? I remember one day when I was uh, pastoring in another church and a man who had been walking with the Lord for a number of years, I knew him to be a decent man and really believe he walked with Jesus, he made an appointment with me, he came to my office, he sat down, and he looked at me and he quoted this verse and he said, Pastor, is that verse true? He says, because the reality is I've been walking with God for a number of years and I don't see it as true. He said, I don't see to see him at working out. Maybe it seems to be working out in other people's lives, but it doesn't seem to be working out in my life. I remember sitting there and, you know, a lot of times when people come to see me, I don't know what they want to see, so it's not like you're prepared in advance. And kind of in a, in a moment of time, scrambling in my brain to think of an answer, and I remember saying to him that, you know what, his name was John. I said, John, you know, I know it must be true. It must be true because it's God's Word. And I remember saying to him that probably the reason that we can't always seem to see it is because as people we have this limited human perspective on things which keeps us from seeing the big picture. That we don't see how all the parts work together to fit together to accomplish something greater than maybe ourselves or something greater than the, the, maybe even the dreams and the visions that we have for our life. We say, but this is derailing what I thought and it just doesn't seem to be fitting together that everything's working together for good. And sometimes it, it just... You know, I think it's our short-sightedness that keeps us from seeing that. Now today, as we get back into the book of Genesis, we're going to look at a story from Genesis that can really help us to see this promise worked out in someone's life. One of the things I love about looking at the scriptures, especially character sketches, we're going to look at one person's life today, is we kind of see the whole story. And we gain this perspective and we can look at it and we can see this, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly all coming together to create something in the person's life. And, and this is what I think is going to happen today as we look at this. I think as we look at this story, it's going to build our faith. It's going to build our faith to trust God in times when we don't seem to understand why things are going the way they are. That we say everything's going, going awry, it's all going haywire. But we're going to see that sometimes things go haywire because it accomplishes something greater in the end. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at the, the life of Joseph. From the Bible, one of the most one of the most popular Bible characters, you know Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, number four in the line of the patriarchs. 
We're going to look at his, his life today, and, and uh, we're going to kind of do an overview of most of it. And Now, that's no simple task to look at his whole life because his life is one of up and down. And, and, you know, where some of the Bible characters we've looked at in Genesis cover maybe one chapter, Joseph's life goes from chapter 37 all the way to chapter 50 of Genesis. And 37 to 45 is pretty much just all about his life. And so there's a ton the Scriptures have to say about his life. So obviously today we can't read it all. We'd be here for an hour just reading through it. Matter of fact, I sat down this week and read it, and it took about an hour to read his story. But what I do want to do is I kind of want to give you an overview of the story. Because here's something that's, that's wonderful about a church. Some of you, I could say, tell me the story of Joseph, and you could tell me every detail of his life better than I could tell it. But some of you have never even heard of him before. You know, I was so blessed this Wednesday night that... Wednesday night, we, I teach a class on Wednesday night to adults on, on basic theology of the Bible. Basic, kind of say the puzzle pieces. How do the puzzle pieces fit together? The basic teachings of Scripture. We were having a blast going through it all. And afterwards, one of the gals who's, who's brand new, been, I think she's been here four weeks, and, and you know, I'm not even sure where she's at with the Lord yet. She waited after and she talked to me. And she talked to me about prayer. And she said she's going through some difficulty in life and said, I just don't know how to pray. And so we talked about it, and I grabbed my Bible, and I began to share with her the Lord's Prayer and began to talk about a prayer structure. And after I kept referring to the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, quoting the Lord's Prayer, she said to me, is that in the Bible? And all of a sudden it dawned on me once again. Friends, we live in a world where a lot of people have never even ever owned one of these. They've never opened it up. And sometimes we, get, we forget that. We forget we live in a world where a lot of people don't really know anything from the entire scriptures. We live in a world where that's not common anymore. And there's nothing I love more than taking that person in that situation and saying, let me show you what God's word has to say. I love being the first person who gets to open up the scriptures with somebody because I know it's going to change their lives. So some of you maybe have never even heard of Joseph. So I want to tell you a story that's amazing. I'm going to take maybe five minutes to kind of recount the events of his life. In the scripture, when we come to meet Joseph, where we, other than just when he's born, we come to meet him when he's about 17 years of, of age. And th- we find something about Joseph from the very beginning, that he's daddy's boy. That daddy loves him. And dad loves him more than all the rest of the kids. Matter of fact, dad loves him so much, he gives him a special gift. Remember what the gift he gave him was? A coat. You ever, you know, uh, is it Broadway that had that Donny Osmond was in? Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. That's what it's about. It's a story of Joseph, that he gave him this multicolored coat. I'd like to see what it looked like, because I think it sounds ugly. But it, obviously, a many-colored coat it sounds kind of goofy to me. But, um, but obviously, it was something really special. And he gave him this coat, and, and it made all the other brothers angry with him, because they understood he's, he's daddy's boy. Dad loves him more than loves the rest of us. And so he lives in this family, and he's the favorite son, and, and he, his brothers don't like him at all. And... Uh, he has some dreams. And in his youth, he makes the mistake of telling the dreams. He had two different dreams, and in the dreams, what happens, the long and short of it, is he has a dream that someday all his brothers and even his mom and dad are going to all bow down to him and worship him. So he tells them those dreams, and guess what? They're not real happy. They really don't like the guy. And he says, well, someday you're going to bow down at my feet. And, and they're not real pleased with that. And so, so they like him even less. Well, one day they're off... The, the brothers are off with the, herd of, with the herd of the family sheep. And dad says, hey, go check on your brothers, see how they're doing. 
So he goes, looks for him. He can't find him. He finally comes to a place called Dothan. And somebody says, they're over there in Dothan. So he heads there. And, and as he's walking through the field to his brothers who have the sheep, they recognize him. Why do they recognize him? His coat. And they go, oh, look, here comes the dreamer. And they begin to conspire with one another. Remember what they say they're going to do? They say, let's kill him. And so one of the brothers isn't real happy about that. And so he goes, oh, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in a pit. And then his plan is, I'll come back and rescue him. But they throw him in a pit. They, he comes and they throw him in a pit. They take his jacket off him. They throw him in a pit. And the, the one brother leaves that's going to rescue him. And, and while they're sitting there, here comes this, this caravan. And the caravan is a bunch of guys, Ishmaelites, it says. And they come by and, and they go, wait, why should we kill him? Why should his blood be in our hands? Let's take him out of the pit, sell him as a slave. So I can imagine it doesn't say it, but they have them all tied up and bound. They drag them out of the pit. And they, they take him and they sell him to an Ishmaelite trader as a slave. And they take the coat and they, they rip it to shreds. And they, put, they kill a, a sheep and they put blood all over it. And they tell Dad he's been ripped apart by a wild beast. And Dad mourns, thinks he's dead, but he's not really dead. Instead, he's sold off into slavery. And the, and the traders take him to Egypt. When they get to Egypt, they sell him as a slave. And it tells them who buys him. This guy named Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of Pharaoh's um, bodyguards. Now, Pharaoh is the king, in case you don't understand. He's the head of Egypt. And they sell him to the captain of the bodyguards. He's an important man. He's like the head of the military. And he brings him into his house. And the blessing of God is upon, upon Joseph. And so much so that, that, the, that Potiphar, uh, who bought him, understand that, that he's blessed of God. And, and he puts him in charge of his whole household. And everything he touches is blessed. Well, everything's going great. You know, he's, he's sold into slavery, but now he's in a rich man's house and he's being used of God and the blessing of God's upon him. The house is being blessed. His master's happy with him, but then his master's wife begins to look at him and say, and as he says this, it's kind of funny, that he was good looking. And she starts saying, you know what? I want to sleep with the guy. And so she harasses him day after day after day after day and says, sleep with me, sleep with me, sleep with me. And he says, no. So finally one day she gets mad. He's in the house all by himself and she grabs him by his coat not the technicolor coat, not the multicolored coat, because that's gone already, but grabs him by his coat, and he rips away from her, and she lets with the coat, and he runs out, and she's embarrassed, and she says, I've got to say something now, I've got his coat, he's running out there with, you know, with no shirt on, and so he goes and tells the husband, your, your slave tried to rape me, and so Potiphar has no choice, and he throws him into jail. So here's a guy who did nothing wrong, and now he's tossed into jail, and he's sitting in jail, and when he's in jail, the blessing of God rests upon him. And everything he puts his hand to is blessed. So eventually the, the head of the jail puts him in charge of the entire prison. And when he's there, he meets two guys in addition to the rest of the inmates. One is the cupbearer of Pharaoh. He's the guy he would taste the Pharaoh's drinks. Now why would he do that? In case somebody was trying to poison Pharaoh. He would taste the monkey. Okay, I didn't die. You can drink it. And one was the chief baker to Pharaoh, the guy who would bake all his bread. And they had done something to get Pharaoh mad, and he threw him in jail. And, and one night, they both have dreams the same night, and they're talking about the dreams, and, Pharaoh, and, and Joseph hears about it, and he says, you know what, um, my God can tell you the answers to the dreams. And he tells him, he predicts, he says, this is what's going to happen. Your dream means you're going to be restored to Pharaoh in three days, and your dream means you're going to be dead in three days. And both dreams come true. Both, they both come to pass the way he said it. And Joseph says this, don't forget me to the one who's going to get released. Don't forget me. Remember, I'm innocent man. Don't forget me and I'm in here. Guess what the guy did? Forgot him. He helped him out. He gives him an answer and he forgets him. Two years later, the man, the cupbearer, is before Pharaoh and Pharaoh's all upset. He's upset because he had some dreams. He had the same kind of same basic dream, two of them, kind of same exact thing. 
And all the wise men, it says all the magicians, all the wise men. Pharaoh says, what do my dreams mean? And no one knows the answers. And all of a sudden, the couple of Pharaoh goes, oh, wait a minute. There's this Hebrew kid that I met in prison, and he foretold my dream. He says, go get him. And they bring him out, and it says they give him new clothes, and they shave him, and they wash him, and they cut his hair, and they bring him before Pharaoh. And, and uh, he says, I understand you can tell dreams. And he says, no, I can't. I, I would love to have been there that minute. I understand you can predict dreams. No, I can't. Huh? The cupbearer's probably saying, uh-oh, my head's in the chopping block. He goes, but my God can. He says, what's your dream? He tells him the dream, and he says, the interpretation. He gives him the interpretation. And the interpretation is right. And the Pharaoh is so impressed, he says, who is wiser than you? Who is the blessing of God on more than you in all of Egypt? And he says, you're going to be my number two man. Basically makes him vice president. He puts his ring on his finger, his signet ring, saying, that's the power. Gives him fine clothes, and he goes around with Pharaoh through, through Egypt. And he's put in charge of this whole program of collecting grain, because that's what the dreams had to do about about how they're going to have a famine. He becomes, at the age of 30, it says, he becomes number two in Egypt. And then, as the story goes, in the next couple of years, what happens is his family comes in to get the grain that they've been storing up, that, his, that he predicted in the dream that there would be a, a famine, a drought, so they had been collecting grain, and his family runs out of food in the Promised Land, and they come to Egypt to buy stuff, and long story short, they become reconciled. All those things happened in this, in this young man's life. All these ups, all these downs, this incredible story. He starts off from, from riches, he's a rich guy's son, to rags, he's slowed, you know, slowed as a slave. Back to riches in Potiphar's house. Back, as, back to rags, he's in prison. Back to riches as number two in all of Egypt. I mean, just an incredible roller coaster life. And what we see when we look at his life as a whole, when we have this, this gift of perspective... We look at the, at the beginning, we look at the middle, and we look at the end. What we understand is that really, God did work all things together for good for this young man. When we see the big picture, we see that God allowed Joseph to go through a whole bunch of hardships. I mean, he was sold as a slave. He was tossed in the jail even though he did nothing wrong. He let him go through all this difficulty in order to, in order to eventually elevate him to number two in Egypt when he could then be used of God to rescue his family from starvation. And his family needed to be rescued from starvation. Because this also wasn't just any family. This is the family God started to say someday the Messiah is going to come through. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and on and on and on, and someday Jesus. This is an important family. One that God said that the blessing of God will rest upon, and through them the entire people of the world would be blessed. And we can say to that, Amen. Awful glad they didn't starve to death. Because Jesus came through their family. So God had a plan for this thing, for this family. Now let's fast forward to us. Here's our reality today. We don't get to see this perspective so clearly in our lives. We don't get to read a book and say, oh, that's what happened. That's, oh, that's, I'm in prison today because someday I'm going to meet this guy and he's going to do that and he's going to do that and it's, it's all going to work out. We're only seeing what's happening today. And we can only remember what happened yesterday, and let's be honest, sometimes even what we think of yesterday, we don't really understand why yesterday happened the way it did. We don't really get it, because we don't have the ability just to see it from from God's perspective. We can't usually see how certain events, even hardships, even blessings, fit into some kind of big picture. Yet they do. And we can believe this, and the reason we can believe it is because of this. It's God's promise. All things work together for good for those who love God. Those are called according to His purpose.
But we've got to ask ourselves an honest question about this. Can we just say, oh, this everything always for everybody works out for good? I think we need to look at Joseph's life to figure that out. You know, does, how was this accomplished? How come God could use all these events to bring about something wonderful in Joseph's life? Was it simply that it was just God's plan and God had written a script from ages past and he was just a pawn in the plan? Or did Joseph need to play a part in it? So that things would work out together for good. We know this for sure. God had a plan because he had dreams when he was a boy and they were fulfilled when he, was an, when he was an older person. And Joseph had, you know, they, they came true. But this is what I want us to get today. To see the dreams fulfilled, to see that happen in Joseph's life, he still needed to walk in step with God. Even when things didn't make sense or seem fair, He needed to walk in step with God. You see, Joseph could have blown it. Joseph could have derailed or hindered or destroyed God's ultimate outcome. Because here's the reality. The promise. The dreams. All things working together for good. That promise, that dream that God may give you for the future, the way God gave him a dream, has a contingency in it. It says all things work together for good to those who love God. All things work together for good. It's just, there's no period. Look at your Bible. It doesn't stop and put a period there. It says all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. Friends, we need to understand there's a connection. There's a contingency clause in the promise that it works out for those who love God. To love God is to walk with Him in obedience. First John says to love God is to keep His commandments. To love God is to, is to live a life where what we do is committed to God Himself. Where one asks for God's will to be done in and through them as they walk through life. That's what we see in Joseph's life. That's why all things were able to work together for good in Joseph's life. And I want to explain that. I want you to, I want you to get that. By the time you leave here today, I want you to grasp that truth. So let's see what Joseph did in his walk. Remember, we got the gift of the story of his life. What did he do in his life to walk in obedience with the Lord, to walk in step with God so that God was able to work all things together for good? And then when we see what he did in his life to walk in step with it, then we can follow his example and we can have the same confidence that God will work all things out together for good even when we're in our prison times and we just don't get what God's up to. And we say, there's no way this can work out for good. Believe me, there was times Joseph said, there's no way this can work out for good. I believe Joseph at many times said, oh, that dream will never come true. Man, I had those dreams as a kid. I was just dumb. That not make any sense. He had to believe that because he had no way of knowing how God was going to work it out. So then we can follow Joseph's example. And what did he do in those, in those times when he didn't see it happening so that when we're in a time when we don't see it happening, we can act the same way so that God can work all things together for good. And as I look at Joseph's life, I want to talk about the things from his life that, that steered, characteristics that steered what he did, that allowed the twists and the turns of his life to be directed for ultimate good. I want us to look at, I want us to look at five of them today. Five characteristics from his life that, that if we will live out these characteristics like he lived out these characteristics, God can take our twists and our turns and bring them to our ultimate dream fulfillment that he has for us. 
First one is this that we see in Joseph's life. A thing that, remember, allowed him, allowed God to use him in the turmoil of his life so that the ultimate good came. The first one is this. In all things, Joseph remained devoted to God. In everything that happened in his life, he remained devoted to God. You know, let's, let's, let's remember his life story. Joseph grew up in a God-honoring environment. His father was Jacob. Jacob is the guy that God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, the very namesake of the nation of Israel. He changed his name because why? He wrestled with God. He walked with a limp because God had put his hip out of the socket. Every day he was reminded of the power of God. Every day he was reminded of the blessing of God when he walked with his dad. He lived in a family where, where the reality of God, the presence of God, the, the greatness of God was, was always there. They recognized that his family saw God do incredible things. This guy knew God. But then as a teenager, 17 years old, his brothers tie him up and throw him in a pit and sell him as a slave. And he's taken to a country he's never even thought of before, never been before, never even experienced before. As a 17-year-old kid, he goes from, from his somebody, Jacob's son, to a nobody, a slave in Egypt. And he could say, but I'm Jacob's son. They'd say, who? We don't care. He went from a rich boy with something to a poor slave with nothing. So he's in his brand new environment, completely shaken up, completely detached, completely having no, nothing secure to hold on to. And he comes into this place in Egypt, in a culture where they don't know the God that he was growing up with, but they have all kinds of other gods, and they worship other gods. In fact, they worship their Pharaoh. They thought their king, their Pharaoh, was a god himself. And you would think that he would have turned his back on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He'd say, after all, I served him and they threw, me, they threw me in a pit. They sold me as a slave. You'd think he would have turned his back and tried to fit into his new place by worshiping the gods of Egypt. But the reality from the story is that he did not do that. Throughout the story of his life, he repeatedly refers to his God, the God of his fathers. He, his, his desire constantly is revealed that he wants to honor God. He continually speaks of his God's greatness. And we see in chapters 40 and 41 of his story, when he interprets the dreams of the prisoners, the cupbearer and the breaker, and then he later, the next chapter, interprets the dreams of Pharaoh. When he said, can you interpret dreams? He said, I can't do it. He said, I can't. He said, but my God can, and my God will. He walks with his incredible devotion to his God in everything in his life. He remained devoted to to God. And church, this is key number one. Maybe this is the most important key. That in all times, in all situations, good or bad, turmoil or blessing, a person who wants to see the dream fulfilled remains devoted to God. They walk with God. But here's what I found in the years that I've lived in the church world. That often, church people, people who one day are standing with their hands raised, loving on Jesus that those people tend to walk away from God when things get tough. They get angry with God at times when things don't go as they've planned. But God, I really had it planned out that it would work this way and this way and this way. And at this exact age, I'd retire and I'd buy the dream house on the lake and I'd do it all this. And God, it's not working out and it's your fault. You've heard it. I've heard it. I've seen it. They turn away from God or they get angry at God. Friend, I want you to understand today. You can't do that and expect that all things will work together for good. 
Because it says all things work together for good for those who love God. And surely in that circumstance, we're not loving God. Now, I'm not saying that there's not times that we are confused. I'm not saying there aren't times that things don't make sense and we get hurt and frustrated and, and may lash out and even at God at times. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Because I'll admit, it gets tough to remain devoted to God when the chips are down. The temptation is to, to shrug God off and to take things into your own hands. God, you're not coming through right now. I guess I'll do it myself. I had a dream, God. I'm going to fulfill it myself. I want you to get something today. And don't ever forget this. That your hands, your abilities, will never produce the dreams that God has laid on your heart. When God puts a dream on your heart, the only one that can fulfill it is God himself. And you, can, you can't scheme it. You can't work it. You can't do enough to see it accomplished. You say, well, God, you blew it, so I'm going to do it myself. I promise you, friends, your effort can't accomplish the dreams of God for your life. Only God can accomplish the dreams of God in your life. For the dreams to come through, to come through the adversity, you need to walk through the adversity staying devoted to God. Doesn't mean you don't say, I'm confused. Doesn't say you don't cry out to God and say, God, where in the world are you in this? That's human. But we come down to the end of the day and we say, however, God, I will, I will serve you always. I will worship you to the day I die. God, it's all about you. Even when I'm sitting in the prison. Even when my kids aren't doing what I think they ought to do. Even when my spouse is rejecting the effort I'm putting into trying to make our marriage work. Even when I lose my job. I walk in a devotion to God. That's the first thing I see when I look at the life of Joseph. That's maybe the main reason God was able to work all things together for good in his life. He just stayed devoted to God through it all. And God was able to twist and turn and lead him to the ultimate place. But let's look at another one. The second one is this. It's just as important that Joseph in his life never compromised his core values. He never compromised his values. Joseph believed in being holy and pure because he worshipped the God of holiness and purity. He understood, be ye holy for I am holy. God said to his people, be ye holy for I am holy. He understood that. He'd been taught it from his dad. He never compromised those values. So when he was tempted to sin, he refused to sin because he knew it would have compromised his value. Grab your Bible and turn with me to chapter 39 of Genesis. Start in verse 6, down to verse 12. It says... So he left everything he owned to Joseph's charge as Potiphar, the guy who bought him as a slave. And with him there, he did not concern himself with anything except the food from which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and said to him, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great sin, the evil, and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. 
Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household were there inside, and she caught him by the garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. Let's put this in real-life perspective. This is a 17 or 18, maybe at this time, 19-year-old kid. We don't know how long he'd been with Potiphar at this time. And this woman, the, the, the head of the house, the woman of the house, is saying to him day after day after day, come in to bed with me. No one's around. No one will know it. You're a good-looking guy. I want you. He's 17. The guy's in his place to remember what it was like to be 17. That's a temptation. I can't think of a much greater temptation hardly to a person in their life than the situation he found himself in. But he says no. He says no to her even though he knew it would result in consequences for him. And what consequences did it result in? He said no, and he ended up being thrown in prison, accused of rape, even though he had done exactly the opposite. He knew there would be consequences to it, but he chose to say no. Friends, Joseph didn't compromise his values even during the toughest of times. And I will tell you this, the toughest time to not compromise your core values is when the times are the toughest. That makes sense? When it's the hardest, that's when we make the excuses in our mind, well, maybe just this one, one time. Maybe just one time. But Joseph didn't compromise his values even during the tough times. Listen to me today, church. You need to hear this. Compromise, sin, derails God's plan for your life. Sin will compromise the dreams that God has given you for your life. Many a person has been given a great dream from God and it ended up being unfulfilled because of compromise. Just think of this this transition of events here. Had Joseph chosen to sleep with Potiphar's wife, he would not have gone to prison. Had he not gone to prison, he would have not met the cupbearer. Had he not met the cupbearer, he would not have interpreted his dream. Had he not gone to prison and met the cupbearer, when Pharaoh had the dream and the cupbearer had been restored to him, the cupbearer could not have said to Pharaoh, but I know a Hebrew child that can interpret dreams. If he had chosen way back then to sleep with her, he would never have been brought before Pharaoh and said, interpret my dream. And he said, well, I can't, but my God can. And he interprets the dream and becomes number two in Egypt. The, the, the result, the good result of his life, the blessing of being number two in Egypt, all went all the way back to when he was a youth in the house, and he said no to sin. The dream was fulfilled because he chose to not give in to sin way back here. God could work through him because he maintained his values. Friends, I want to tell you, never, never, never compromise. Never, never, never choose to sin because the consequences of sin are much more far-reaching than you can ever imagine. It's not just a dirty little secret. It's not just something nobody else knows. It's something that can derail the plan of God in your life and keep the sequence from happening the way God wants it to happen to bring your dreams to fulfillment. Don't do it. I'm not saying that God can't, you can't repent then and, and God can't bring it back on track. He can. But there's going to be consequences to it. There's dreams that are unfulfilled because of sin. So he kept his core values. Amen? Let's look at number three. Another one. Every time I'm going to say it, this is the most important. Everyone's the most important. Because you need them all. Number three. Joseph 
grew where he was planted. Explain what I mean by that. He grew where he was planted. When Joseph was sold into slavery and then later um, imprisoned unjustly, he could have just set his mind to just exist, to just get by. After all, life wasn't very fair to him. Why should he put a whole lot of effort into it? Why should he make a profit for the one who's a slave owner, who's treating him as a slave? Why should he help the prisoner who's got him chained, the prison guard who's got him chained? Why should he run the, why should he run the prison? He can say, I don't have to do that. I'm not getting anything for it. Why should I do it? But he didn't do that. He um, blossomed wherever he was. Grab your Bible again. Go to chapter 39. Genesis 39. Two sections. Start the first six verses first. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, the Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in the sight of him and became a personal servant. And he made him overseer of the whole house. And all that he owned he put in in his charge. And it came about that from that time he made him overseer in his house. And over all that he owned, and the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there, there he did not concern himself with anything except the food with which he ate. Now flip over in that same chapter to verse 19. It says, Now when the master heard the words of his wife, which he had spoken to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me. Remember, accusation of rape. His anger burned. So Joseph, Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. In both situations that he ends up in, places that he never expected to be, situations where he was a a prisoner and a slave, in both those places, he takes great responsibility and he becomes all that he can, can become in that place. He grew where he was planted. Now you need to hear me today. You might not be doing what you thought you would be doing. Where you thought you would be doing it at this time in your life. Let me hear this, say this again. You might not be doing what you thought you would be doing, where you thought you would be doing it at this time in your life, but you need to remember that God may be preparing you now for something fantastic later. You just don't see the outcome yet. You just don't get that you're in one of those twists or turns right now. In your life, you often need to go through the prison to get to the palace. That's been a little phrase I've kept in the back of my mind and in my heart my whole entire walk with God. When things don't seem to be going right, I just remind myself, you know what, like Joseph, sometimes you've got to go through the prison to get to the palace. You know what, friends, you do your best where you are at today because today isn't second best with God. Today is not something that's a waste of day to get you to tomorrow. 
Today is as important as tomorrow because today God is, is preparing you for your tomorrows. So Joseph learned, I need to be my best in where I'm at today. Friends, it's a key to making all things work together for good. You bloom where you're planted. That makes sense? Let's look at number four. Number four and five are kind of closely tied together. I was going to do them as one, but I want to separate them. So it'll kind of be a little briefer. Number four is this. Joseph understood that life wasn't just about him. He understood this way, saying it this way. He understood that he wasn't the center of the universe. He understood that life wasn't just about him. Joseph saw that he was a vehicle through which God brought blessings to other people. And he viewed his personal sacrifice, what cost him dearly, as an acceptable price to pay to see God's big picture worked out in the, in the redemption of man and the preservation of his family. He saw that it was all right that he suffered for other people's blessings. You know, he saw it was okay for him to be sold as a slave so that his family could be rescued. He was the opposite of selfish. He was the opposite of selfish. Look at verse 40, chapter 45. These are some of the most amazing, this is what we're going to read right now, some of the most amazing verses in the entire Bible. Because of what they reveal. Chapter 45, starting in verse 1. It says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He's, he's been re- reunited with his brothers. He's going to let them know who he was. And he cried out, Have everyone go from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please, come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Verse 5, it's amazing. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. He's saying God sent me to preserve your life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there will still be five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and the Lord of all his household, and a ruler over all the land of Egypt. He looks at the boys who tied him up, threw him in a pit, plotted to kill him, and eventually sold him into slavery and says, Guess what? You didn't do it, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. He looked at the twists and the turns of his life and he said, you know what? It's all right that it cost me. It's okay that I suffered. It's okay that I went through it because God did it to bless you and other people. Friends, understand this today. God uses and blesses selfless people. God uses and blesses people who aren't always asking, well, what's in it for me? Always saying that I'm the center of the universe. What's in it for me? People who want to be part of God's plans and benefit others. When God looks at a person's heart that says, I want to be a blessing to other people, God says, I want to use that person. He says, I can use you. I can make dreams come true through you because you're not just thinking about you. You're thinking about the blessing of other people. Kind of reminds you of somebody? 
Maybe his name was Jesus. He said, it's not about me. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He said, I'll go to a cross, I'll be shamed and I'll suffer and I'll die. Why? Because he had his arms wide open for you and me. God blesses, God can use that kind of a person. God loves to bless people that understand that life's not just about them. That's the fourth thing we see in Joseph's life. And number five is completely tied to it. It's an outcome of it. Number five is this. Joseph chose to be a blessing to other people. He chose to be a blessing to others. This flows out of number four. If you know that life isn't just about you, then you can choose to bless the people around you. Friends, when self-pity could have made Joseph bitter and not caring about anybody else, he still chose to help other people around him. While he was in prison, he chose to go out of his way to interpret the cupbearer's dreams. You understand? He didn't have to do that. These two guys are sitting over here talking about their dreams. He's in charge of the whole prison. He didn't have to tell them what the dream was. He didn't have to help them. He didn't have to say, well, this is what's going to happen. But he went out of his way to help. When his brothers came to him, he could have condemned them to death. After all, you wanted to kill me, I'm going to condemn you to death. You die. Not only are you going to bow before me, but I'm going to see you dead. He had the power to do it, but he didn't do that, did he? He chose to bless the people around him. Church, there are times in our lives that are equal to Joseph's prison days. There are times in our lives that are just as difficult as the days that Joseph was bound and tossed into prison. There are deep and dark and tough days that we go through. Life isn't fair. It doesn't make sense a lot of time. Often life hurts. Let's learn something from Joseph. Don't pull into a shell of self-pity. Rather choose to be a blessing. Say, I'm not going to let this destroy me. Instead, I'm going to bless those people around me. Understand this about Joseph. Oftentimes when we bless in the most difficult of circumstances, it becomes the avenue through which God delivers you from your hardship. It was Joseph choosing to bless the cupbearer when he didn't have to that became the avenue through which God delivered him from the prison, which became the avenue through which God put him as number two in Egypt. He chose to bless the guys around him, even in the toughest time when he could have been filled with self-pity, filled with hate, filled with anger. He wasn't. Instead, he said, I'm going to be a blessing, even in tough times. And that was the avenue, it was the road that God took him down to bring blessing into his life. When you bless in tough times, God will often use that to make your dreams come true. He had a dream when he was 17. That dream came true because God took the twists and the turns of his life and he accomplished the goals. But it didn't happen just by accident. It happened because Joseph was one of those who loved God. He walked in step with God. He didn't compromise. He was devoted he blessed people. He grew where he was planted. He said, God, I want to act wonderful, godly, um, positive as a blessing. I want, to, I want to bless instead of curse in my whole life. And as he did that, God took the twists and the turns of his life and he made it all work out. So that eventually one day his brothers are bowing before him. They're begging for their lives. And he, says, he starts crying. He says, he 
chases all the Egyptians out of Rome. And he says, don't you understand? And he begins to, he, was, he said he was disguised. He begins to probably wipe off the makeup on his face because it was probably looked like Pharaoh, you know, all made up. And they look and they go, it's Joseph. He's going to kill me. I'm not going to kill you. God had a plan. Friends, understand today, God's got dreams for you. God's got plans for you. And if we'll walk in step with him, if we'll act the way he wants us to act, he's going to make impossible, seemingly impossible things come true. Joseph could never have dreamed that someday he'd be number two in Egypt and rescue the entire lineage of Jesus. But he did. Because he walked in step with God. And that's what God wants for us. That same promise is for you and me today. All things work together for good to those who love God. And what dreams has God given you? Don't give up on them just because today seems like you're locked in a prison. Sometimes you've got to go through the prison to get to the palace. Would you stand with me this morning?